So we want to begin this subject of the Christian and social media by, first of all, just getting a little background. And there's a lot of background material here to consider, so I'm not going to try to give it all. But there's some things it's good to have in mind as we start to talk about this subject. At present, it's estimated that 4.9 billion people across the world are engaged in the use of social media in some form. 4.9 billion people. It's expected, according to Forbes magazine, uh, uh, Bell Wong wrote an article on this, to climb to nearly 6 billion in the next three years. So 6 billion people engaged in some way on this platform. It's important to understand that each of these users takes advantage of from six to seven social media platforms. And when you take then 4.9 billion, and then you multiply that by six or seven, so that there's, you see how many are using it, you can see how the numbers explode. If the question is asked, is there any money in this? I think you all know the answer. It's obvious, of course. Yes, there's big money. Nearly $50 billion a year in, is uh, part of what is exchanged in social media. And the market is projected to continue growing, and this is somewhat alarming, at a rate of 26% per year. Not 26% in the next 10 years, 26% per year. So you can figure out what 26% of 50 billion is, and it's going to grow by that amount this year and in the year to follow. The most used platform, and this will be disappointing to some, is still Facebook with uh, 3 million uh, users, and YouTube is just a little behind, but it's gaining. Bell Wong says, these staggering numbers aren't just statistics. They highlight the expansive influence and potential of social media platforms. And I don't think any of us doubts that. Now, despite some of its criticism, Facebook remains the leading giant in, in the field, of course, as I mentioned. It has over one half of all social media hits involve Facebook in some fashion. And here's where it becomes more serious. The average amount of time spent by Americans on their social media accounts is two hours and seven minutes a day. Two hours and seven minutes a day. And that's the average. That means some are doing less, some are doing more. Out of a lifespan of 73 years, that's nearly six years of those 73 years spent on searching and reading social media at present. That's a big investment of time, those six years. Um, that means nearly 15 hours a week on social media. And that's an average. And as I already said, averages can be tricky. But it's easy to see, I think, that this is having a tremendous impact on our society. It's worth noting that a majority of those using these platforms spend less than 60 seconds on any one hit. So you've got all these people spending all this time on it, 
but spending less than 60, 60 seconds on any one place. The vast majority, of course, use their phones or tablets, and only 1.3% use desktop computers to access social media. So if that's what you do, you can see you're in a very uh, unique group. Not many people are using their desktop to, to do that. And you probably would not, unless you had done some research, guess the nation with the highest use of social media. I'll give you a minute to think about it. I'll give you a little hint. You may have been contacted by a prince or a princess from this country who has a fortune he wants or she wants to share with you. And so the country would be Nigeria, right? That is the country that has the highest rate of social media use in the world. Just a few more stats to set the stage here. 84% of those who are aged 19 to 29, 81% of those 30 to 49, actively use at least one social media platform. Even in the next range, it's fairly high, which would be 49 up to 65. That's 73%. And for those of us over 65, 45% use one form or another. So with that in mind, here are some of the headlines. Quote, as shooting rates among the young remain strat strat <laughs> Sorry, I had a brain freeze there for a moment. Evidence suggests social media is serving as an accelerant to violence. Taunts that once could be forgotten now live on before large audiences, prompting people to take action. And that's from an article written by A. McGillis. Another headline. Russia used Twitter to provoke the slaughter of the uh, White uh, Helmets, a major humanitarian group in Syria. Another. The military in Myanmar used Facebook to launch a genocide. Radical groups like ISIS have long used social media to spread extremist views, recruit members, target victims, publish manifestos, and coordinate attacks. That's from a website called Social Media Victims Law Center. Now, without going into all the sordid details, social media is as apt to be infected by and used for every sinful activity imaginable as any other thing in the world. It's just as uh, uh, exposed, it's, it's just as likely to fall prey to sinful use. From the extremes of trafficking in drugs and human beings, uh, sextortion and murder, to the milder forms of bullying, abusive expressions, and mockery, it all can be found on social media. The ability for instantaneous comments on real-time events, the relative anonymity that it provides, the liberties guaranteed by its very nature, the depravity of man, and the grace of God make social media an aspect of life and culture that can either be uplifting and encouraging or a veritable cesspool of hate 
and crime and harm and corruption. It's just there to be used and abused by its nature. And in between these two things, where you have the malicious intent and use, and you have those who are trying to exploit it in every way they can for Christ's sake, um, you have a whole world of questionable activity that really needs to be carefully considered and uh, with children certainly constantly monitored. And here's just a few considerations regarding the, the use of social media and the Christian. The first thing to take into account is time usage. I think that's to a certain extent obvious. In Psalm 19, in verse 14, we read, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Every believer, I think, can very quickly make a survey to pass judgment on his or her own time management when it comes to hours spent on social media and hours spent in prayer and study and worship. I think you can see very easily that with spending two hours, a little more than two hours every day, if you contrast that with the amount of time that people spend actually in worship every week, which is just an hour, the numbers are way out of whack. But you can bring that down to how much time is spent in studying the word, how much time is spent in prayer, how much time is spent uh, seeking the Lord and seeking his blessing. And considering that in contrast to the amount of time spent on social media. Now I understand that some work on social media can be edifying and can be a spiritual blessing. You can be sharing Bible verses and things like that. But everybody has to make that comparison for themselves. <coughs> In this psalm, David prays that the things that his heart muses on might be delightful in the eyes of the Lord. That is, that those things which were occupying his mind or were rolling around in his mind would be such things as are suggested by the word of God. That all the things coming to mind might be considered in the light of a biblical view, a sound biblical view. While he's considering these things and looking at them, he's thinking of them in that context as things are unfolding before him. And I think it's the same thing in this context. Um, if we're looking at it and scrolling through it and we're doing it with a biblical worldview in mind and we're thinking about how does this relate to my relationship to Christ, what does it say about the world in which I live and so on, then that time spent becomes more valuable. But if it's just scrolling through without any thought of those things, it becomes dangerous. In another psalm, uh, David says, and this is Psalm 119, in verse 97, David says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And here, a different word is used for meditation than in the first verse I quoted. It's one that reflects the idea of devotional thought. That's what meditation is here. 
David says that he reflects devotionally on the moral law of God throughout the whole day. That law, which is holy and just and good. And by the grace of God, believers are able to love the moral law of God and see its virtue and its blessing, and then be able to lay that across the face of everything they see. How does this relate to God's moral law? What is its relationship to it? And that's what David sought to do or to fill his mind with. It didn't make him perfect. Obviously, we know that. But it convicted him of sin, and it brought him to repentance and to seek the forgiveness of the Lord. Social media can be very self-justifying, both by what we say and what we do, and by what we do not say and we do not do. Much like the Pharisee standing by himself, some pray within themselves saying, I thank God that I'm not like other social media users extortioners and unjust and adulterers or even like this evil progressive or that wicked conservative. I regularly retweet Bible verses. I only share memes that reflect my views or mock those that don't and therefore deserve my scorn. And so aren't I righteous because that's the way I view these things. It has a tendency to create that in us and that's not where we should be. In addition, it lends itself to a certain degree of spiritual bragging because it's all so often a look at me. It can degenerate into a look at me being and acting godly. Now, do you know where I am? Do you know what I'm doing? I'm doing something very spiritual, and I want to make sure everybody's aware if that's what I'm doing. Um, that carries our, it can carry our testimony to the point of where we're not heeding properly the Savior's warning. It's Jesus who told us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Very serious warning there. Beware. Doing your righteousness to be seen. Now, rather than justifying ourselves by its use, we should be very careful to monitor how, why, and when we're using it and the amount of time that we're dedicating it, dedicating to it in comparison to prayer and study and service. Doing that, recognizing that it could be used for these in the proper context. And I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm not saying there's not value in those things. I've been blessed by uh, passages that people have sent out. I've been blessed by quotes that people have given, and, and there's a, a profit in that. But it's the overall picture that we're talking about here. It's wise for us to remember that, as Peter said, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In noting the drop of use among those 65 and older, it might be assumed that that's because they're old and they're less comfortable with the platforms and with the devices used for accessing social media. And there are situations like that. I remember hearing the story of a comedian once who brought his mother a new television with a remote control. 
and he went to her house to visit her a few weeks later, and she was watching the television, but she was still getting up and trying to find the place on the frame of the TV where you could change it and changing it. And he said to her, Mom, where's the, where's the control? I got you that so you could control it without having to get up. And she said, oh, I'm afraid that infrared thing will start a fire. And so she was in the dining room in the drawer because she didn't want to burn the house down. So it does happen like that. But that's not the reason that is given statistically. That reason doesn't hold when you realize that 73% of those in that age group of over 65 use the internet regularly, according to Pew Research. The group says that seniors are the fastest growing online demographic. That's because there's more of us coming. The reason that they don't glam onto social media is more likely to be personal than technological, according to this research. There's a widespread idea that seniors are technologically illiterate or dislike devices, but that's not necessarily the case. Instead, older adults adopt tech they need and they find useful and resist tech they don't. I found this senior's reasoning very common among those who fall into this category, uh, reading through some of the comments. Seniors learn tech skills when that tech has value to them. Uh, Devitt, he's a 65-year-old former restaurant owner, told one the reporter he was confident that he could master Facebook or a smartphone if he wanted to. Anyone can figure that out, he said, but I don't want to spend the time to do it. Um, the saddest part about the restaurant business, he said, was watching people come in and celebrate events, and as soon as they sat down, their phones came out. And he sees as many older adults as younger ones glued to their phones, and he doesn't want to be one of them. He particularly doesn't want the pressure to reply to someone instantly multiple times a day. And why not? Because at 65, there aren't too many days left. And he doesn't want to spend them on social media. And that goes back to what uh, was said, right, that, uh, by Peter, that time is short. And for those who are over 65, we know it's even shorter. Um, he wants to approach each day in a self-controlled, sober way because he doesn't know how many remain for him. Right now, our culture, especially morally, is sinking away. And whether we're at the end of the age, as some believe, or just at the end of this age, very little um, is around to change the tide of events. And I think we're going to see that um, nothing is going to be changed towards that end by the time spent on social media. We're not going to change the course of our moral decay as a nation by spending our time on Facebook. The time we spend there is not going to change that. Um, not even commiserating with friends or fighting with enemies. It's not going to change the course of things. Um, except, of course, as it is exploited for the gospel's sake. That's where the hope of change is. And the time we're spending doing that, that will have real, real impact. But the rest is not going to change the downward trend. You can see it doesn't. Christians are 
putting out things on social media constantly. And all sorts of sermons and so on are available, and yet we continue to see the degeneration. The real hope is to be found on our knees, both for this generation and rising ones. So that's the time issue. The second is edifying input. Christians, like everyone else, can only receive so much input. We can only take so much in. Overload causes the brain to freeze and the eyes to glaze over. I don't think uh, Sasha would mind me saying it, but after his wife was meeting everybody here today and there, she couldn't understand most of what any of you were saying, uh, they kind of got the impression that she had had too much input. <laughs> she was at the end of what she could take in that way. And that's the way we all are. We can only take so much input. Overload causes the brain to freeze. And one would think that the use of social media would offer a means of increasing input. Remember that the average amount of time spent on any stop during the media scrolling is less than 60 seconds. So there's a lot in two and a half hours you can fit in there, a lot of information you can get, you can see, you can observe. But as information slips by, those using it can absorb a great deal of information in a very short time. But the question is, how profitable is it? I constantly get replies to texts and emails which make it clear that the whole communication wasn't read or that it was scanned in a hurry. And it's obvious because sometimes the, the very point you just made that you're, in your email, they say, oh, but you forgot to say. And you look back and you say, no, I said it right here. But because they just skimmed over it, they didn't see it because 60 seconds is all they have to give. I have to confess that I've done that myself making the, the same mistake. This is a product of our information and social media age. Nothing can take more than a brief portion of time because there's always something else to do. There's always something else to learn. There's always something else to see. There's always something else to say. In some specific contexts, that can prove to be inconsequential, maybe even helpful. But when it starts to shape a person's whole life, and his or her ability to process information, it can become a serious liability. It used to be said of those who sat under the preaching of Puritans, which was sometimes two hours of preaching, that by the time that their life was over, they had been lectured to as much as someone who received two or three doctorates. And they had that much information presented to them and had that much learning through the, the preaching that was done. Um, today, we're hard-pressed with, uh, with going even 45 minutes. That's not healthy for the Christian in particular. Paul said to the Philippians, and this is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, but don't take more than 60 seconds because there's so many of them and we've got to get through them all. No, he doesn't say that. He says, think on these things. Paul calls on you and me to think on or about these things. 
And that requires, by its very nature, what he's calling for here, careful and steady consideration. Not a quick review. Careful and steady consideration. If you have someone preparing your taxes, you don't want them to scroll through the work like they do social media. You want them to be looking at everything very carefully, and you want them to be, you're expecting them to make a studied effort of what they're doing. Well, that's the idea conveyed here when Paul says, think on these things. He's talking about going through and making a careful account. So if you have something that is beautiful, that you find the word of God, don't just pass over it. Don't don't send a meme about it. But think on it, survey it, apply it to your life, take an inventory of it, muse over it, number and calculate the blessings of the Lord by reasoning and sound judgment. It's important for the believer to access what portion of that which floods into his mind and life over over this form facilitates that end as prescribed by the apostle. And that brings us to edifying communication. Moving on to the contributions made to the chatter and information on these sites, we come to this Ephesian passage. Let no corrupting talk, this is Ephesians 4, 29, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. First, he says, avoid corrupting talk. The uncomfortable connection here is with the rotting corpse. And a rotting corpse has three basic characteristics. There's no life in it. It has growing decay, and it smells. That's the three characters of a rotting corpse. And Paul is saying, nothing like that should come out of your mouth. So in speech, which is often... Is, is rotten and putrefied. It wants grace to quicken or enliven. It has corruption in it. It has an offensive odor to the discerning soul, says P. Patrick Bain. And we know that there are things that come across social media and fall before our eyes that fit this description. I've seen things shared that, you know, I know would never originate with the sender. It's not something they would come up with. But somebody else said it, and they feel somewhat detached from it because it's somebody else's word, and so they send it out to all their friends. And they're spreading that rotten speech, but they're saying, it's not me because I didn't say it, somebody else said it. But nevertheless, they're pushing it out there for others to see and read. Written words like those on the tongue can be full of poison, so corrupt writes one, that all the salt in Rome can't purge it. In James chapter 3, he says in verse 2, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. We are to avoid those things. We are to stick to what builds up. And while sometimes uh, thought to be a mysterious term, this idea of edifying, it's really quite obvious. It means to build an edifice or a home, something sturdy, something secure, something safe. 
It's meant to condemn words that are taunting and railing and distracting and idle, flattering and deceitful. How these are not edifying, I think, is obvious. Rotten bleeding argues against our being sound sheep, Bain said. That's a bleating, not a bleeding, like when you cut yourself, but meh. Rotten bleeding betrays sick sheep. Stick to what fits the occasion, Paul says. What the matter demands of you as a Christian should be employed as you are employed yourself as a servant of your king. What should my reaction to this be? How should I relate to it? What should I say? What should be my response? Consider what will give grace to those who read it. Is what is being said designed to increase the grace of God in the reader? In Proverbs 10, verses 20 through 21, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. So our time is gone, but in talking about shunning misuse, that's what we find in verse 31 of Ephesians 4. Bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander should be put away along with all malice. As, and as in any other context, sin is alluring on social media. Perhaps even a bit more so, because it can create an artificial atmosphere that allows for justifying actions that otherwise would be condemned. It provides a certain degree of anonymity, and it detaches us from the offended. So we can, we can pass something on that's insulting or a mockery that shouldn't be something we should be engaging in. And we can pass it along, and again, we have that sense it's detached from me. I didn't say this. Somebody else said it. Somebody else is mocking in a way that the Scripture says we shouldn't be mocking. But they did, and I'm just sending it along because I found it interesting, or I found it clever, or I found it entertaining. But by sending it along, we're doing the very thing that we know is not appropriate. Social media, media lends itself to bitterness or, or piercing comments, which are often admired for their cleverness and for their acidic qualities. And that's unbecoming of the Christian. We're healers, not those who wound. In Hebrews chapter 12 and, and verse 12, we read, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. It can also be a way of expressing wrath that is uh, fuming and anger that is violent eruption. Instantaneous and emotional responses to things. Believers are to be circumspect and gentle, not reactionary and not abusive. And yet, it's easy to do that. Uh, my brother, um, who I have great respect for, and is now with the Lord, was not a very discerning user of social media. And sometimes he would send me things, and I couldn't get them off of my uh, page fast enough because they just were not appropriate. But he didn't think about it. It was an emotional response. It was an instantaneous response to something that he heard or saw or he was replying to something that wasn't true, even, 
or that had been on the internet for 20 years and he just saw it for the first time. In Proverbs 29, verse 8, it says, Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. A man of wrath stirs up strife, verse 22 says, and one given to anger causes much transgression. A good deal of what floats about on social media is simply clamor and noise and has no relationship to truth or wisdom. Evils, for evil speaking that we're supposed to avoid just read blasphemous or outrageously insulting things. And of course, some of it is malicious and deliberately destructive. The guide and use of social media is a simple principle that's well known, but not always thoughtfully practiced. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the day in which we live and for the wonderful opportunity that uh, this platform gives us for communicating with one another and with others and for even making new friends. And Lord, we pray that as it is with all things, you will help us to temper our usage and Lord, we pray that rather than being ruled by it, we would seek to rule it and exploit it in every way we can for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom of Christ, for the comfort of the believer, for the bringing of the truth to bear. Lord, help us to have discernment and understanding. And Lord, help us to be wise users of this gift. And Lord, we pray that when it all is said and done, we might be able to say, not only in other things in our life, but in our use of social media, we have done all for the glory of God. Grant us this grace, Lord. Help us. Be with us. Guide us. Convict us. Encourage us. For Christ's sake, in whose name we pray. Amen.